That's Maytime in Michigan, and green inevitably creeps into our part of the mitten, or shall we say it springs into our part of the mitten. And we have, uh, we've earned this, haven't we? We endured those, those cold, rainy days in, in March and in April, and, and, uh, and now it's springtime, and the sun warms the earth. It's a, green runs along the ground into every yard, and it's time to mow again, and greens up the understory and creeps up the trees, and this week it burst out into every branch and every leaf. Give it up for spring in Michigan. Amen. And the red buds blush and the dogwoods blaze. This is our Father's world. And um, I, for one, would never think of letting a springtime day go by without stopping and thanking him for its recurring privilege. And during a beautiful month of May, we have, uh, I feel led of the Lord to do something with you. And I have had a couple team members, Dr. Ryan last week, Ryan Clevenger, that is. And, and uh, you'll see that our message will pick up a little bit where he left off on what it means to fear the Lord. And it will prepare you for uh, another doctor next week, uh, and Dr. Neil Veit, who, uh, who Neil is, Neil doesn't know this right now, but he's going to pronounce the closing benediction today, because <laughs> Leo is here, but he's feeling a little hoarse, and so now you know, uh, Neil, and you've been given a solid hour of warning ahead of time. <laughs> kidding, kidding, I'm just kidding. So what that's right. Preach, prayer, die. That's what Leo says, yeah. So anyway, good to have you. And what I have in mind is something so useful and so practical, and the Bible is so full of it. We're talking about lies and, and truth part two. And it is the person who fears the Lord, who rightly understands the fear of the Lord, like we learned last week, is a person who would never neglect this. And I'll show you this in the Scripture immediately. A number of places. And if you want to have a genuinely prosperous life, a, a genuinely successful life, the life you, you really are going to wish you had in the end, this is going to be an essential part of that. You'll hear, hear more about that next week. And so what I'm talking about here is uh, the power of, of learning to meditate on the truth of God day and night. And in particular, developing the skill to recognize the lie when you're tempted to believe it. However that lie comes into your mind, recognize that clearly. Do what I call the heavy lifting, and that is to find where is the truth, and especially the truth that really, empowered by the Holy Spirit, springs into your soul. You know, people will say, I was reading my Bible, and it was like this part was highlighted to me, and it just keeps coming back to my mind. Well, that's that's one of the ways the Holy Spirit works. He reminds us of the Word in that special, you got a taser shot to the heart kind of feeling. Like, oh, this is really sweet to me. Oh, this passage really stands out to me. That's probably the Lord at work in your life, helping you to counter a lie that would destroy you. God forbid for some, even damn them to hell. And so that's what we're talking about. 
And what I'm trying to do here and is simply show you this. I want to show you why this is valuable. I want to convince you to do this, and I want to show you how to do it, and, and I want you to get some skill in that. And so I'm going to give you some examples. And so what I want to do first is, before I give you more examples as I've done before, is I would like to show you five of the many good things that happen when you do this. When you replace lies in your thinking with truth, all kinds of good things happen. And the, the scriptures are just full of this, cover to cover. And I won't show you, I won't give you anywhere near how much Bible there is. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a little story. I, I was speaking to men last week, good men who love the Lord. And on Friday, in the Friday night session, the last time we did a men's conference with these people was five years ago or so. And I distinctly remember kind of coming on like horseradish. I thought, well, men are here. They need to stop sinning, and they're all sinners. So Friday night, I'm going to hit them hard on sin. And they didn't know me, so they didn't know how, you know, what a nice guy I am. And so I hit, I hit them hard on sin. And later in the weekend, some of the guys came up to me and said, hey, we've really enjoyed your talks. At first, you really had us scared. We, we thought you were really a legalist and a hard I'm like, okay. So this time when I went back, I thought I'll probably, you know, I, I need to introduce myself to them a little bit. So I showed them some pictures of my family, which is, you know, that's heartwarming. And, and, uh, the, and told them a little story about my family. And in that little story, I, I, I said, don't worry, I'm going to get to some Bible here. I'm going to teach some Bible in a minute. Well, the next, that night then, uh, I go to sleep, and after I preached, I got up in the morning, get ready to preach, and I was grooming, and, and I had a thought come to my mind, a really powerful thought. It kind of went like this, you are wasting your time. They're not going to listen to you. They're going to listen, and they're not going to change. It was just so powerful, super strong. Where did that come from? I don't know. The devil is not omnipresent. He can't read our minds. There are millions of demons that do his bidding, and that might be something you, a demon might be assigned to tell a pastor on a Sunday morning, which they preach to hundreds of men. Don't bother. They're not going to listen. They're not going to change. And so I thought immediately, I'm speaking to them on the topic I'm speaking to you on right now. And I'm thinking, that's a lie. That's a lie. The Bible says, in 1 Thessalonians, that the word effectually works in those who believe. That was like stood out to me. So as I showered, I, I just said to myself, the word of God effectually works in those who believe. The word of God works, changes people, transforms people. And then I told the fellows uh, that afternoon, a couple of guys came over to eat with me and to talk about the things of the Lord. And I told them that story and they gave each other high fives and they said, yeah, we said to each other, let's pray for him that he puts more scripture in the messages tomorrow. <laughs> so there you are. So I came loaded for bear today. I have lots of scripture so we could give you much more scripture than we're able to because this theme is throughout the scriptures. But let's just begin by hearing the word of the Lord in Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Blessed or happy is the one, or the man, the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners. This is the first psalm. Blessed, genuinely prosperous, really happy, genuinely happy. Blessed is the one, the man, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. You know this. 
And what does he do? In his law, he does what? He thinks about it all day. He thinks about it all night. The only time he doesn't think about it is when it's not day or night. He meditates day and night. It's like, and then he's like a tree in springtime, right? It's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. And then it contrasts. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So here's the first of five things I want to show you briefly that are, if you will, going to happen in the lives of a man or a woman who replaces lies with truth. First, you'll experience genuine success, genuine prosperity in God's eyes. Come to the end of your life, God says, successful, prosperous. Listen to Psalm 112. This is one of what's categorized as an innocence psalm. It probably points directly to Jesus as only fully fulfilled in him. But as we follow him, we have his righteousness in us, and we experience the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have an experience in kind that's described in Psalm 112. Listen to it now, and remember what you learned last week. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the one, the man who fears the Lord, who knows that God is going to do what he says. That's what Ryan taught us last week. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and who delights greatly in his commandments. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord and delights greatly in his commandments. Listen to this just for a minute. Listen to the poetry of this. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house. His righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in darkness for the upright. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's righteous. It's well with the man who deals graciously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He'll be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees and is angry, gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. This is only fully true about Jesus, but in him we can experience this remarkable life of blessing and prosperity. It's to those who fear God and who delight greatly in his commandments. So it's like meditate on the law of God day and night. People who know and who meditate on truth are blessed with genuine success. What is it you want? Genuine success and it pleases the Lord. This is a key thing. So second thing, you'll be, you'll be changed by it. You'll be, you'll be transformed by it. In the New Living Version of Romans 12, which we all have memorized, I think, uh, so this is what it says. So as dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but listen. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. See it? It's everywhere, isn't it? How can we be transformed? By changing the way we think. By doing the heavy lifting of, of 
identifying the lies that we believe that are half-truths or not true and replacing them with powerful, spirit-empowered passages of truth, of Scripture, and thinking about that until that becomes what we believe that's transformational. That's what the Scriptures say throughout, says it here in Romans 12, 1 and 2, by changing the way you think. So what happens when a person does this? They meditate on the law of God. They, they exchange lies for, for truth. These are, these are people who will have genuine success. These are people who, who can change and who do change. Third, you will have, you'll be strengthened to defeat your enemies. What's interesting in Psalm 112 that we quoted earlier, I'm like tempted to teach it because of it's an amazing psalm. What's interesting is that you, you look at the psalm at first, it says all these good things that happen to the man who fears the Lord and who delights greatly in his commandments. And you think that's really not me because my life hasn't been an unbroken, perfect, everything is perfect for me. But if you read carefully, you recognize a light rises in darkness. In other words, there's still darkness around him, but he's a light in darkness. There's still wicked around him. They're gnashing their teeth around him, but he isn't wicked. There's still poverty around him, but he's generous. Uh, it, like you think about what the Bible says about Job, perfect, upright, feared God, hated evil. Was he perfect? No, but his Savior was. Uh, it says about Noah, in his generation, he served God in his generation. I would love for the Bible to say about me what it said about Noah, but I wouldn't want the mark on my record that, you know, Noah didn't have an unbroken string of success. Uh, and, and yet, and, and so is what Psalm 112, true in Christ, in us, and true in kind as we meditate on truth. This is the progressive sanctification. We're also given strength to defeat our enemies. In 2 in, in Corinthians 10, there's this passage I mentioned before, verses 4 through 6. And it helps us with this idea that, you know, people are the enemy. No, no, people are victims of the enemy. The, the, the people aren't the enemy ultimately the, because we wrestle not against people, but principalities, powers. There's this spiritual warfare going on. So here's what it says. This is 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. The weapons of our warfare aren't of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And in the context, this would be wrong. This strongholds is a placeholder in the context of this passage for lies that we believe. This is a demonic stronghold. We believe lies. So this is in the context. That's what it's saying. Um, we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take Every thought captive to obey Christ. But now Paul's defending his apostolic authority. He says, when I go to town, this is what I do. That's what he's saying. We, I go and I, I look for lies and I tear them down and I, I replace those strongholds with truth from God's word. And if it's possible for a person to come in town with the ministry of the word and do that, it's possible for us to do that for ourselves. You see, that's what I'm saying. I literally would hope that you all, am I yelling at you? I feel maybe I should be nicer. You're looking at me like you're scared. I, I'm not going to hurt you. Um, but but sometimes I get enthused. I listen to my sermon later. I'm like, I yelled for like 40 minutes at those people. I'm like, sorry about that. Anyway, this is something I so deeply believe in. It's so profoundly helpful that I feel like yelling at you about it. And, and here's how, how it works. If you will learn to do this, if, if you'll learn, you know, when you lie down in bed at night and, and you're tired and you're weary and, and, you, and sad things have happened to you, and then there's that thought again. And it's a thought that just keeps coming to you over and over again. And you know it's not true. Okay, stop. Think about that. Maybe write that down. Go to work. 
do the heavy lifting. Study your Bible. Have a regular Bible reading timing and get your highlighter out because the Spirit will be faithful to show you a passage that will just jump out. That's how people say it. It just jumped out to me. You, if you don't know this experience, this is an experience you can have. That's what I'm saying. You can have that experience this week that God, through the Spirit, in your situation, will speak truth to your heart against the lies and will give you life, it'll help you have success. It'll show you how to live. It will change you and it will, give, it will arm you against spiritual enemies that are, that are warring against your soul. We are at war and the war is in our mind and we win it with truth and we lose it with lies. And so that's the first thing is true success. The second thing is it'll change us when we do this. The third thing is it'll help us defeat our enemies. The fourth thing is it'll help us to experience fullness of life. God doesn't just want us to cope or survive. This is not what Jesus said. I, he came to give us abundant life. He didn't say, I came to save your sorry soul from hell. You're going to live a miserable life. Isn't that what he said? He did come to save your sorry soul from hell. Thanks be unto God. And uh, I'm glad he did. Amen? I'm here grateful you're, you don't have hell to look forward to because you know the Lord. Even though you deserve it. You do. But, but he also wants us in the midst of trials and heartaches. And the scriptures are full of this. It's through, read the whole thing. Matter of fact, I'll get to, to that a little bit more. But you'll experience fullness of life. Listen to Romans 8. It's talking about walking in the Spirit and filling your mind by the promptings of the Spirit with the Word. This is Romans 8, 5 through 7. Those who live according to the flesh, listen, set their minds on things of the flesh. I got dealt a bad hand in life. This isn't, God doesn't keep his promises. Things don't work out for me. I had to do that. I can't do that. The carnal mind, you set your minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds, you see, on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh leads to death. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. And it cannot submit to God's law. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. And you see what I'm doing here? I'm showing you passage after passage that's saying variations on the same thing. And that is what you think about. What you intentionally decide to think about is going to make all the difference in your life. It can transform your life. It can make you like Jesus. It can make you genuinely successful. It can arm you for spiritual warfare. It can, it can help you experience life to the full. Hear it now. You, you know, it's not like, I'm not talking about lifestyles of the rich and famous, you know, where you just live in a lap of luxury. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, the person who might even live in a hut in Mexico and, the, and, it's, and, and, and work among people who are impoverished. And yet, when you go and you realize they, they cook on, you know, on a wood stove in an adobe hut, and they're happy, and they're joyful, and they're successful, and they'll burst heaven wide open someday and be rewarded by their Heavenly Father. And they're, and they, they, they're, they're, if you will, to use uh, uh, Maslow's terms, they're the most actualized of all. They're the people who are, they really do have something going there. And in Jesus' words, they have abundant life. Don't believe that because things are hard for you or they're not the way you want them to be, you can't have and experience an abundant life. 
And the Bible says you can, but you can't do it until you take the things you're thinking that are wrong and you regularly and specifically replace them with truth from God's word. Listen to Philippians 4, 8. You're familiar with this. Finally, brothers, whatever's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. What's it say? Think about these things. It's there again. You see it? Are you convinced yet? Are you excited about this? You should be excited about this. This would be wonderful. If I was a young man, again, I, I wish I was 18 again, and I lived my life over again, I would double the amount of the Word in my life. I would get myself in the Word, and I would obey God's Word. I would live by God's Word, and I would have this blessed life. In that I have, I have, here's the fifth thing, you'll also enjoy a foretaste of heaven. The Bible actually teaches that we can have heavenly thoughts. It's in Colossians there in chapter 3 and verse 1. Set your mind on things above. It's possible for you to think, how would God have me think about this? What would God say about this? How would God think about this? I want to think God's thoughts after him. And how can you know what God's thoughts are? You have a book full of them. It's interesting. Billy Graham's been powerful use of the Lord, hasn't he? Millions of people. My, my own father came to Christ in part by reading Peace with God by Billy Graham. That makes me Billy Graham's spiritual grandson, kind of. You <laughs> should listen to me more, people. Seriously. Kidding. But, but it's interesting how he's used to touch millions of people's lives in his old age. Somebody said, if you had your life to live over again, what would you do? He said, I'd read my Bible more. Love my word. The closer you get to God, the more you love his word. The farther you get from his word, Father, get from God. You say, it's not working for me. Well, have you been in the Word? Have you been thinking God's thoughts after him? See, these are all, if you will, their benefits. So, all these things, I said that now, let me give you a few examples before we enjoy a day of making sure mom feels honored today. And think about the moms God gave us. I had a pastor once in our church years ago. And you couldn't get him to do anything. He'd pastored. He'd had a bad experience. He'd been hurt. He came to our church. He's a nice man. He's well-trained. He's a good man. He loved the Lord. He sat in the back row. He'd come in. He'd sit in the back row. And he'd sing. And he'd listen. And he would not do anything. And I was really, really young. And I talked to the senior pastor. And I said, what about so-and-so? I mean, he could teach a Sunday school class. He could lead a soul-winning group. And a he could disciple young people. And the pastor says, well, do what you can. But I couldn't get him to do anything. None of us could ever recruit him into anything. He was, he was hurt. And he said, I, I love the Lord, but I'm not going to get involved in church because the people are going to hurt me if I do. Now, was that true or a lie? Well, we want to be hard on the pastor but the question is, his lie, lie was, I'm wasting my time serving the Lord. Well, well let me tell you how I came to a, a passage of Scripture that helped me on that. And it's this way. Years ago, I pastored across town over at Lewis Park Baptist. I was the youth guy. And I wanted to be the teaching pastor, but they already had one, so I needed to go somewhere else to do that. And the pastor agreed. You know, he said, sure, we'll pray for you. And he let me stay there and help while I was kind of had my ear to the ground about opportunity to go be 
the preaching pastor in a church in, in, uh, up in northern Michigan, got a hold of me through Moody. And you remember this lesson? I went up there. I, I was going to, for Mother's Day, leave you totally out of it like you like, and I slipped. I'm sorry. Um, but we went up there to that nice church up in northern Michigan and these nice people. And there was a guy named Gordon Genema. He was a key layman, a godly man. Invited us to our home that night. We went, had dinner with him, and he introduced us to the people, and I preached, and it was just going to be a wonderful experience. I was pretty excited about it. I could see that the folks connected with me, and I connected with them, and I was imagining pastoring that church, and he, he said, good reports. People are enthused about your ministry, and, and, the, and, and the, they had us come back and candidate, and then, then they were going to vote on us on Wednesday night. And on a Wednesday night, Gordon Gentleman called me on the phone, and he said, and he had a funny sound in his voice, and he said, I hate to tell you this, he said, but we were not able to get enough votes to call you here. He said, there's a guy that is upset with me, and he went out and he got absentee ballots, None of these people ever heard you preach, but they voted against you, and we can't call you. I waited until I got off the phone to weep. I spent about 30 minutes mourning that, and then I kind of like dried my eyes and said, well, I guess God's got something else for me, and I recovered. But here's one thing that helped me recover. Gordon Genema is a godly man. He said to me on the phone that night, he said, Ken, he says, I don't know what God's doing. But over my lifetime, I've learned to trust him. And when you serve him, you never serve him in vain. That's why the Bible says, and he quoted the passage in 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that leaped into my heart. We know our labor is not in vain. In the Lord, you're teaching your Sunday school class, you think, why am I doing this? You're doing your wana, why am I doing this? You're calling another neighbor, you ask them, why am I doing this? This is empty, this is worthless, this doesn't work. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You go to bed telling yourself that over and over again. You can't read your Bible in bed very long. You're falling asleep, but you can tumble over a little short bit of the passage of Scripture. This is what I'm getting at. Take a little short piece of a passage that's very meaningful to you that you can remember in bed. And, and when you're done praying with your mate, if, if, you have a mate, if, you, if you're not alone, and you tumble that over as you go to sleep. You wake up in the night. You can't go back to sleep. Go get a piece of Scripture tumbled over. One of our dear men here, I won't embarrass him. He's a godly older man. He'll come into my office every once in a while, and he will say, I couldn't sleep last night. I'm always like, I'll listen to what he says when he says that. And he says very sweetly, he has an affectional love for Jesus. He'll say, so I got up. And then I opened my Bible, and I read, and I met with the Lord. Like, what did he tell you? I listen when people say stuff like that. Listen, that's what, that's what you want. You have that experience, I'm sure. You want to cultivate that more. Like, I know you have problems. I know you have questions. I know you're sad. I know you don't think things have worked out like you wanted to. God is faithful, and his word is full of promises, and you can build your life on them. Go to, go to heaven with a handful of God's promises in your hand, claiming the promises of God, trusting God. No matter what happens to you, I don't understand this, but I do. I'm going to trust God. He understands everything. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's just an example of one. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So each one will receive what he is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
That'd be a passage you could, when you, when you work for the Lord, you're making investments that, that are, are going to yield riches forever. And the Bible teaches that the local church is God's, God's work today. It's the hope of the world. And so you labor not in vain. I was talking with a young mother. She said, I'm going to visit my mother-in-law this weekend. And I said, that's wonderful. Make sure she feels loved and honored. And my thought was, too, I hope you feel loved and honored because you're a mom, and this mom is pretty dear to me. I thought, I hope they make her feel loved and honored while she's going to honor her mother-in-law. And then I smiled. I thought, well, of course she will because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus did not come to serve, but be served. I thought, she's going to have a good Mother's Day because she's not focused on herself. She's focused on somebody else. And that's what God's Word says. She could say, nobody pays enough attention to me. Or she could say, but it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. She could say, it doesn't seem like people appreciate what I do. But she will say, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we will never forget his name. And that he's adored all over the earth today. Acts 20, 35. This was what it, where it says, even this, the words of Jesus is more blessed to give than to receive. I met a man once, his name, uh, well, it's not important. Anyway, met a, met a guy, came to my office, and there was a dark cloud hanging over him. I wasn't here in this church. And he just, the more he talked, the more sad things he said about his life. He set my rocking chair there, and he just said, well, this happened to me, and then after that, this happened to me. And it was really remarkably a, a, quite a cluster of, of bad things. A person that didn't know God might say, wow, you have had a run, a unique run of bad luck. You might say that if you didn't know the Lord. If you wanted to believe the devil's lie, you might say, this guy got dealt a bad hand, and that was his phrase. I just got dealt a bad hand. That's the way it is with me, and that's the way it always will be. Now, this is, a, this is the way lies come to us. And this is the way they go. You know, you're a loser. You got dealt a bad hand. I met a woman once who felt this way. She just felt like for others, things went well, but for her, things went bad. And she, and she would say, I've tried to do the right thing over and over again, but it doesn't pay. What she says. I've tried to do the right thing over. I had a young man one time come to me, troubled in his marriage, unfulfilled. He was unfulfilled in, in his sexual life in his marriage. His wife, wife was unfulfilled. He says, it's not fair. I waited to have sex. All my friends were having sex before they were married, and I did what was right, and I waited to have sex before I was married, he said. And, and I am miserable. And so he began to have pity party for himself and before long he had lost his marriage and he had lost his honor and he had lost his career now why because he believed a lie he had learned a truth in Sunday school that all things work together for good to those who love God who are those who are called according to his purpose he could have said you know this is not what I prefer but God is good and he's doing something good, and I'll figure out what it is he's doing that's good. But that's not what he did. He didn't meditate on the truth. 
He could have said like Joseph, you know, to his brothers when they did evil to him in Genesis 50 and verse 20, you meant it for evil. What's the rest of that? You know the word. So you, you have what you need. You just have to think that when that difficulty comes, like, well, they were, they were trying to hurt me. Yeah, but God was using it to help you. It changes everything. The providence of God, the sovereignty of God changes. It changes everything. God is sovereign. This is what the Bible says. He works everything after the counsel of his will. Wouldn't it be wonderful for, to, for you to put that in the storehouse of God's word? It, this is in uh, Ephesians 1 and 11. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestinated, uh, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. How wonderful is it to know and be able to tell yourself, you know, people are believing the lie. My, my, my life is unraveled. You don't, you don't say that to yourself. You say, God is working all things after the counsel of his will. God is doing what God, that, that, that changes things. This is the way you have to think. Don't allow yourself to think lies or it will, it'll kill you. It will destroy you. If Satan can't have you in hell, he'll foul up your life the best he can. And his demons, they'll do that. The world, the flesh, the devil conspire to get us to believe lies, the truth. Or, 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 or how about if a person said, you know, this is a test. I'm not fulfilled in this part of my life. But it's a test that I will pass by God's grace. Because this is what it says in 1 Peter 1, in verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are being grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're believing lies, and you need to embed truth. A doctor whose wife came to me once, his wife was angry all the time. He is, a, is a, like the corner of the housetop, continual dripping. And she was angry, he said, she's angry all the time. And so he believed a lie. I can never be happy and live with a person who's contentious and who attacks me all the time. What would you say to him? Uh, the, the, the going wisdom is find somebody that's nicer and doesn't yell at you all the time. Or maybe somebody would say, it's your fault. But what if it isn't his fault? Well, she's troubled and she's angry. What do you tell him? Here's what came to me. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and they say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, be exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven. So persecuted they the prophets who are before you. A person lie. A person cannot be happy if people yell at them. Truth. Yes, you can. Blessed is the one. Jesus' words himself. I say to you, this is uh, Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who do evil to you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. You'll be like your father in heaven who sends his reign on the just and the unjust alike. This is the way a successful, fulfilled, heaven in the heart kind of a person lives. He, she embeds the truth of God in their heart against the very lies. You're getting this, right? And so let me give you a couple more examples. Um, a guy says to me, he's out in front of the coffee shop. It's late at night. He's very, very frustrated. His wife is not happy with him and he's not happy with her. They're only married because of the Christian, Christians around them that are putting pressure on them to stay married. 
And he literally says to me as the cars are going by out in front of the coffee house in his frustration, he literally says to me, it's not possible to be happy and to be holy at the same time. That's what he said. I used to think you could, but I realize now you can't. In order to be happy, I have to break the rules. Who said? Probably be very convincing if I could take a video recording of how his life has gone since then and just show you his life since then. But what does the Bible say? Well, there's a lot of things about that, but one thing that springs into my mind is uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. God is able to give by the product of the Spirit in your life joy. And one, one counselor one time, here's a lie. He, he didn't mean to lie. He meant well, but a counselor, he's a good guy, love the Lord, but he's just kind of off on this. And he said, probably we make too big of a deal about sexual sin. And I remember going, oh, hmm, hmm. You know, he says, I'm just learning. We make too big of a deal about sexual sin. Oh, uh, hmm. I thought about that for a while. Okay, process that because he's a really smart guy. And I was driving home thinking, dang, right? Dang, right? And here's how I know. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4. You know what instructions I, I gave you through the Lord Jesus, that this is the will of God, your sanctification, you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like Gentiles who don't know God. See that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. That sounds kind of serious. I think what he was trying to say, I think this is a good man, who, what he was trying to say was not, he, I don't think he was trying to say we make too big of a deal about sexual sin. I think what he was trying to say was we don't make a big enough deal about God's grace after people give in to sexual sin. And then people continue to live under the condemnation of the failures. We all are a zoo of failures. Let's admit it, we're, we're, we're here before God and he knows our secret lives and our secret thoughts. We're all a zoo of failure. If you don't think that you are, then you're also a failure who's deceived yourself because you haven't failed in a way somebody else has failed. And you should examine yourself and read the word more. It's like a mirror that will expose to you who you really are and what you're really like. And he will show you other sins other than the ones you're thinking about that other people do that you have successfully avoided as much as I avoid eating broccoli. I try not to ever eat it without a lot of butter or cheese and have been successful at that. Now, we don't make too big a deal of sexual sin. The truth is, we're not making sin a small thing. We're making, we need to make grace a greater thing. And so it says in Romans 5 and verse 20, now the law came to in increase to the trespass where sin increased. What else does it say? Grace abounded all the more. Is, is your sin going to be so great that it can exhaust God's grace? No. His grace is greater than our sin. So don't tell people that their sin is not a big deal because their sin is a big deal. Just tell them God's grace is an even bigger deal. Powerful grace of God. Hey, maybe a kid is saying to himself right now, my parents are trying to ruin my life. They don't want me to have any fun. Every time I think about doing something I like to do, they're against it. And the lie is parents are so old 
and wrinkly and addle-brained that they have no idea what people do these days to have fun or something like that. Kids have thought this for generations. There's no joy in being a Christian. Christian following Jesus isn't the happy path. That's a lie, right? But, but we're tempted to believe it. What is the truth? Well, the truth is about sin that, it, you know, it may taste sweet for a bit, but it ends bitter. Did you know this is in Job 20, 12 to 14? Though evil is sweet in his mouth, though he hides it under his tongue, though he is loath to let go and holds it in his mouth, yet when his food comes to his stomach, he has the ven venom of cobras in it. Have you had that experience? Was it Moses made the choice? It's recorded in uh, Hebrews in, in chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Moses makes the choice to be with the people of God rather than to, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It's like there's pleasure in sin, but the season is, is short. And the payday is where you always talk about bittersweet. Uh, you know, following Jesus is bittersweet. You go through heartaches and hardships, but we end, we were, we're going to end this thing sweet. And following the evil one is sweet, bitter. You, you may have some pleasure now, but it's going to end poorly for you. And this is what is going to bring us to next week, because in Psalm 1611, it says, you make known the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, if you want fullness of life and if you want to have success in God's eyes and you want to be transformed and you want to have strength for the warfare that you have to face and if you want to, to live with a little foretaste of heaven, here's how you do it. Get God's word in your mind to replace the lies that you're tempted to believe. Tumble it over day and night and see, see what happens. I had an uh, interesting experience with a fellow once. He, uh, he's a young man I met. We, were, we, were, we went to hear Michael Card sing. And Michael Card is not only a singer, but he is a really gifted Bible teacher who's thought and studied deeply the Bible. And we went for this concert, and my, my oldest son, Kyle, and I, and as we walked away, I said to him as we crossed the parking lot, what do you think of his music? And he just was quiet for a minute, and then he said, well, I, I, I liked it, but I wasn't really thinking about the music. I loved the way he taught the Bible. Love the way he knew the Bible. Traveling with him was a young man named Sam Judd. A few years later, we met him down in the mountains. He's from eastern Kentucky, and he works at the Kentucky Mountain Mission. And he's a neat guy to be around. I love being around Sam Judd. When I go down there, I'll look him up. I'll hang out and watch where he's going to be so I can have a conversation with him. Because when you talk with Sam, you just have a wonderful conversation. One night, we were working together in the mountains at the Oneida Institute, and I was preaching to the students, and he was the musician. And after we were done, we were, we were out in the night, and we were talking. It was one of the early spring in the mountains. It was April, but it was like May in Michigan. And it was so warm and genial. It was so beautiful and fragrant, and the, 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 the leaves were open up. The, the flowers were open up in the trees. And we were talking, and I thought, I could talk to this kid for hours because he's such a neat guy. And while we talked, the moon rose up over the mountains. I'm like, Sam, look at that. I remember that night. The next night, when I got done preaching, the kids came forward to ask us questions. Sam was sitting here, and I was sitting here, and while Sam was talking, I discovered what it was about him I liked so much and why he was the kind of guy 
that I love to spend time with. And actually, I've tried to hire him a number of times, and he's successfully resisted that. And one of the students asked a question, and I answered because, you know, I was the speaker. Another student asked a question, and I answered. Then at one point, I said, Sam, what do you think? Well, Sam says very humbly, and he opens his Bible, and his Bible is just marked on every page. He goes, well, there's this, but then again, flip, 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 there's that. And then also there's flip, 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 there's this. But also, really, God touches me when I think of this, flip, and he's showing me his Bible is just used. He has a used Bible. He's an awesome guy. I couldn't talk any of my daughters into Mary and Sam, but God did send a wonderful wife to Sam. There's another kid. I was speaking at a conference in Tennessee, and I needed to refresh myself. There was a kid named Russ Bennett, wonderful kid who loved the Lord. And I was speaking at this conference, and he was back in the green room, and we were, he was sitting there with me, and I was getting ready. I, th- I forgot something. I said, where does it say? He'll, he'll, here, he'll sit, let me borrow your Bible. Russ hands me his Bible. Same thing. I opened it. I was like, it opened real easily. He had a used Bible. His Bible was used. I'm like, whoa. I looked at it, and kind of like sacred, I put that down. Like, that kid has used his Bible. That's what's, that's why he's the kid he is. He's coming through Detroit once, and he called me. He says, hey, you, you got time? And I go, oh, yeah, I got time. Russ, I'll come down, and we'll, we'll find a barbecue place downtown. We go downtown and find a barbecue place, and we talk for an hour and a half. It's the richest conversation. I literally drive away thinking, I wonder if I can talk my daughter into marrying him. Literally thinking that. I couldn't. It wasn't that. So the moral of that story has nothing to do with my daughters. They're, yeah, my, my, my daughters have, some of them have Christian husbands who love the Lord, who follow the Lord. The success of their life depends on how much they believe and meditate on the scriptures. And yours will too. You can have a successful life. You can have a taste of heaven in your life. You can be strong in spiritual warfare, but you can't do it if you're living on lies. You can only do that if you build your life on the truth of God.